everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Opposites React. Today is Wednesday, April 15th. This is Tyler, and I'm here with Sarah, of course. Aloha. So, hope everybody's doing good out there. We are still living our normal introvert life, like <laughs> most people. <laughs> Thanks, um, I have actually watched uh, some other stuff recently, and I mean, I haven't really played anything new, but watched a couple of newer things. Um, I don't know if they're really worth even mentioning, but remember I told you uh, the other day, Sarah, that uh, I was there's that one YouTube channel I follow uh, among many that I follow, one called Cinema Wins. Oh yes, I hear the dings all the time in my head. Yeah. Yes, give a shout out, to, give a shout out to Chris. Um, he's been doing it for like four or five years. I want to go back to his very first video and see what it was, um, and then I was gonna watch try and watch that video whether I had it available on dvd blu-ray or streaming so the first one he ended up um, reviewing like a little over four years ago was actually pixels that uh is the adam sandler sort of um replays like a former uh, galaga asteroids donkey kong like oh. 1980s arcade champion kind of kid and then okay. you know as a child then obviously the film fast forwards 30 years or whatever to when they're adults and it's him he's in it kevin james and uh some other like Josh Gad is in. He's a guy who does like the voice of Olaf in Frozen. Oh, okay. So, anyways, it's I I heard it was a terrible movie. Like critically, it got <laughs> panned, and I figured it was during that phase, phase when Adam Sandler was doing those stupid movies. Um, so I didn't expect much going into it. Right. But you know, actually, it wasn't a terrible movie. Like I, I definitely wouldn't like. I wouldn't even probably recommend anybody watch it because I think a lot of the humor is pretty cringy and mm. uh, just that type of Adam Sandler humor that you either you're used to it or you hate right. it. Right. But yeah, no, I, I thought the animation the movie was really good like cgi was good like they have like pac-man in there and there's, mm. there's some jokes involving like donkey kong and tetris and all the old like you know nes sort of properties but yeah it was, it was on netflix so i popped it It was like i think it was only like an hour 45 or something not a super long watch um yeah so and then the, but the next the next one that is on chris's list uh for the next cinema wins he did that i i don't think it's available on any of the streaming services i probably won't be able to easily watch it is the uh that terrible when I heard again, terrible. That Fantastic Four reboot a few years ago. Oh the, yeah, the yeah. That's probably a reason there's no way yeah. to watch it. I haven't, I haven't checked the Amazon yet. It might be on Amazon, but it's mm. definitely not on Netflix. Wait, would it be on Disney Plus? I'm trying to think now. Isn't Disney Plus have Fox? I think it was a Fox production. Movie. Oh, we haven't tried there yet. I haven't tried Disney Plus. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so I might get around. To, I'm, not, I'm not very excited to watch that one because whereas <laughs> Pixels had like it did have some stupid humor. I did appreciate like CGI, like the animation and stuff. But mm. Fantastic Four, I think it's just gonna be a bad movie. Yeah, but. Uh, we'll see if I can put it on the background. You've done this to something. yourself. I know. I'm going down this <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, also, the other thing I want to mention to you, is, I just told you about this two, two days ago, is that um, I was, what was it? I went on YouTube uh, to watch whatever. Like every day. Yeah, I am on YouTube every day. <laughs> and there was an ad at the top for that thing called uh, Quibi. Is that what it's called? I, I don't know if it's how it's pronounced. I, it's I don't, the, it, I don't it, get this it online. It stands for, it's a, it's. It's Q U I B I. Oh, it's I didn't know it was an acronym. Okay. It's supposed to stay, it's supposed to stand for Quick Bites. So, uh, so I think it's called Quibi. Okay. That's how I would pronounce it. Quibi. Well, I don't think Quibi. Yeah, Quibi doesn't. But sound so, anyways, fun. Quibi apparently had launched last Week? Monday. Yeah. Last Monday, so whatever that was, the sixth or whatever. Um, and uh, it launched with like seventy-five series. We're gonna call them series for now. So the whole idea behind this Quibi thing, it, it's mobile only. So it's not... Uh... So I can't watch them on PC? Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm sure, obviously, if, yeah, like if it's on your mobile device, you can probably obviously Chromecast or whatever your yeah. TV, but you can only watch it for now on mobile. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think that's how they intend to do the service. I don't know if they're ever going to roll that out okay. in a different I'll format. But anyways, so the idea behind this thing is, again, they call it Quick Bites for a reason. So it has a bunch of original series on there, um, like drama, comedy, all kinds of different 
genres. genres. Um, but the, the idea behind it is that, from what I can tell, most episodes are like, I think a max is like 10 minutes for an episode. Some, okay. are, some are five to six minutes, a max is like 10 minutes, I think. So again, the idea, the funny thing is, so I've been reading a bunch of articles about this. So I was kind of intrigued about it when I, when I, so just to give a little context too, if you sign up for it, if you, if you download it and, uh, and sign up before the end of April, you get a 90 day free trial, which is pretty long trial. Um, after April, it, it would just be the normal, like the trial, it says after the trial ends, it's six ninety. It's, so they have two, two different um, tiers. tiers. It's six ninety nine a month. That's Canadian six ninety nine a month with ads. Mm. or 9.99 a month without ads so you can't there is no free option and you get a crap ton of ads right okay yeah but they but it's nice when i when they there's a little like info button thing next to the option that i chose which would be 6.99 with ads and it says the ads only play before an episode like that's not, nice because yeah. that's the most annoying thing being like interrupted halfway through and be like oh that break that broke the flow of what i was watching so i thought i'd try this so i, like I, said, I downloaded this thing on my phone i thought i'd try it out see what kind of content was on there because one of the things that intrigued me right away they're one of the biggest things they're marketing of their original series is um, a series called Most Dangerous Game, right? And it's it's based on the I think it was a book and it was also a movie. Like it's it's been done like a lot of times in, in, in forms of media. But the most dangerous game is that idea of like well, the most dangerous game to hunt is man. So it's like mm-hmm. usually they like put a bounty on someone and then everybody hunts him. That's the whole idea behind this. Okay, that's what I thought the hunt was about. No. <laughs> So this one, from, again, I haven't watched it yet. I've, I plan to watch a few episodes before we did the podcast tonight, but I didn't get around to watching it yet. But I'm probably going to check it out tonight. Um, that's the funny thing to me. When, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but the idea behind, when I read the sort of like the, the people that created this service, there were a couple of like TV execs, CEO people. Mm. And they when they created this, the idea behind it was, well, obviously they wanted probably to appeal to like the uh, millennials to the short, short attention span right. generation. But also um, it's something, something like, uh, something that's like a five to ten minute episode you can watch it on a commute yeah quickly or if it's just, they even like they even advertise the same like watch it on a commute or watch it if you have like a break between meetings or something at yeah. the office like you know it's something you can just easily digest right yeah, yeah. so again that so we go back to that one show that kind of intrigued me originally the most it's just called most dangerous game not the most dangerous game just most dangerous game so it stars uh liam hemsworth and christoph waltz so it looks like christoph waltz plays like some shady businessman guy who like offers this guy this guy apparently has cancer or something the guy that's going to be hunted so he offers him like 20 million dollars something if he can survive this Mm. being hunted by all these people right so i guess the idea is that every little bite-sized episode you watch is like someone else trying to hunt right and then it's gonna so it's it's supposed to be like a 12 to 15 episode arc so by by the time it it all plays out i think it's the the total runtime ends up being somewhere around an hour and a half you know so it's are they weekly are they uh, it's daily okay so it's supposed to be a new episode every day so it's the idea so again this most of these, pretty much all of the shows that launched on day one last Monday, they would have a new episode each day. Okay. So by now you're up to like 10 episodes or something. Right. Some, I think some series only run like 10 episodes. Some are going to run like 14, 15. So, uh, so again, the idea is like if you're kind of late to the party on this, you could obviously by time you, you get into it, you just binge it all in one sitting. But they have a lot of stuff coming down the pipe too, you said, isn't there? Yeah. 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 They've, uh, they have some trailers for other series that are going to be, uh, coming to the, the service in a, in the next few months. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Like I said, it's 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 obviously it's another another service to keep track of for uh, if anybody has Netflix and Amazon yeah. and Disney Plus and Crave or Crave or you know if you're in the U.S. if you have like Hulu and mm, all sorts HBO. Yeah, yeah, it's another thing to put on your phone and but like because there is original content there, it's something you can only watch on this service. Yeah, and because and, and for now, if you jump on the free trial, you can probably watch a lot of the content pretty quickly if you're the kind mm-hmm. of person that likes to binge. So yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, 
I have a bunch of, you know, like every service, you know, I just like, I see a show on there, I put it on my list, like I'm going to follow it. So I just have like a whole list of shows I'm going to watch now. And honestly, by the time you're going to watch it, I'm probably going to end up binging them because exactly. I'm, not, I'm not doing the one yeah. episode per day structure the way it's probably intended. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting. So I, yeah, like I said, I, I'm trying that out for now. I'll report back on that next week when I actually watch some of the content. So right. far, I've only watched, uh, one of the things that I like, that Lucas likes watching with me is they have this cooking show on there each episode's only like five or six minutes a really short cooking episode so the idea behind it it's called dismantled and the um <laughs> the host uh so there'll be like the main host and have like two guest hosts on like the celebrity well, chef judges, aren't they well, yeah they're not like actually like it's not like when you're watching chop and it's like professional food okay. judges these are just like actors and actresses okay. who are, like yeah just normal people that are test- testing this yeah like, this is yummy it's not even testing so the idea behind that that show dismantled is these, these two contestants are in like a in an area they're they're, they're wearing like a, oh not a white suit what do you call it just like a white protective suit and like goggles because they're gonna get they're gonna get food shot at them out of a cannon like they, so whatever the food that and then they have to identify the food based on so it's gonna be all over their face and their clothes and they just have to like taste it right and like oh, okay so this tastes like you know i taste marinara or i taste uh pesto, pesto and, and zucchini yes yeah, and, and, and then they go to a kitchen chop style they have to get the ingredients they have 30 minutes to try and make whatever they think they tasted yeah and then give it to the judges and whoever's right gets like five thousand dollars so some you know yeah some, like well, lucas some, loves a, like he thinks it's hilarious yeah, exactly yeah. food getting shot of people what's not to love so some of the other shows in that service like they i, I haven't again, i haven't watched many of them but they have like some kind of like judge Judy ripoff they have like some, well some isn't she retiring or something small claims so. court show on there they have a show that looks kind of interesting i think it's a racing show it's like idris elba who's an actor against ken block who's like a professional race car driver and they have these competitions oh cool so yeah, they seem like there's a lot of variety on there. And then they have, like I said, they have dramatic series, Nick Brand, original dramatic series. With, they got some pretty good actors on most of these series, so they, they, they definitely probably threw some money at the service to yep. try and get it up, up and off the ground. Um, other than that, uh, I thought I'd watch another movie recently, but maybe I, I've just been re-watching stuff recently. Like I, watched, I watched Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol today, mm-hmm. probably for like the 12th time or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good movie. Another reason I want to watch that again is because that was the most recent Cinema Wins video. He oh. did that one, so I wanted to refresh my brain on that one a bit. I thought I was watching... Oh, did I tell you about... I started watching that Netflix series a few months ago on... I was going to say on Netflix. It's, it's always on Netflix. I just said Netflix. <laughs> uh, it's called Afterlife. Remember that one with Ricky Gervais that I told you about? Yes, I do remember that. You showed me a scene from it. Yeah. So I think, I think it was only like, only like eight episodes or something the first season. Um, I got like halfway through it and then I, of course I stopped like I usually do with these shows. I'll go <laughs> yeah, back to it though. But the, the, the trailer oh, for season two came out the other day. Season two for um, The Afterlife. Not The Afterlife. It's called Afterlife. Season two comes out uh, April 24th, I believe. Next okay. Friday. So yeah, maybe I'll get around to finishing that one so I can watch season we'll two. We'll see. Yeah, we we'll know see. you won't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you haven't really watched anything recent other than your usual Grays. Right? No, Grays is done now. Season finale. Oh, right. Season finale. So, no so more my Grays. Thursdays are free. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what will I do? Oh, I'll play Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to report gaming-wise. Honestly, I've been playing MLB, you've been playing yeah. Apex, you've been playing, we've both playing Animal Crossing. Yeah, nothing really new happening. you got a brand new copy of Final Fantasy VII Remake sitting here that you're hesitant to open. I don't know. <sighs> I can't decide. Like, I look at Twitter and all it is is Animal Crossing and Final Fantasy and it's just mm-hmm. like, this looks like, and reviewers i trust are giving it like perfect scores or high scores and i'm like oh but i really want to wait until the full experience and i really don't love the battle system but it looks i so don't pretty. know it I, prettiness doesn't mean everything to me though <laughs> and i really wanted to play the first part of the actual game uh, before i played the remake and i never did that 
So I don't know. I don't know. It's not like I don't have the time to do it. But I started up Persona 5 again, mm-hmm. and I, this is like the fourth time I've tried to finish it. <laughs> so I yeah, really don't want to give up on it now. You should probably stick with Persona. I yeah. know. But I really don't want to have to return a game during virus time. So <sighs> I'll probably have to end up keeping it. So I don't know. Maybe I'll dabble in it. Who knows? <laughs> dabble in its prettiness. I don't think it's terribly long either if you just uh, mainline it. So. I've heard it could be as long as like fifty hours if you're doing like. Well, everything. that's like only a third of what Persona is. So, yeah, <laughs> considering Persona Five talk, that's short. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Then I see something on your Twitter feed today. You like something on Twitter about oh, Picross? No. Oh, Picross S Four yeah. is coming. Oh, my time is dead. Yeah, that probably will be until like what the fall in the West. No, like, um, they do that turnaround for that series in North America is like. Because they think it's put digitally, right? That it only is digital. Yeah, only digital, yeah. So, like, once that comes out, it'll probably be early May. Mm-hmm. That's goodbye time. Goodbye. <laughs> we all know how that ends. How many, uh, going back to Animal Crossing for a second, how many Nook Miles did you spend today going on all those islands? I spent <laughs> probably 20,000 miles today trying to go to town, trying to go to Mystery Islands. And what are you looking for exactly? I need peaches, and I need oranges, and I need a flower other than mums and tulips. I have peaches and oranges. I know you do. <laughs> But we can't send stuff to each other because we're sharing a copy. Yeah, that's true. So, you know what? You're going to so, go rent a copy pretty soon. What you're saying is return Final Fantasy VII to buy another <laughs> copy of Animal Crossing is what you're saying. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. If we could just rent it and I could pay for um, online again, I would do it just for the freaking fruit <laughs> because I am really mad that I cannot get that. And there's so many times where I'd be like, oh, I know you need these books for recipe. I'd love to send that to you. And I can't. And it's just sad. It's just so sad. One day I will crumble, but not right now. I trust in the Mystery Islands eventually. So, did you want to move on to our next, our actual I topic of the, of the week? I would love to. And I've even been privy to it beforehand. Yeah, I gave you a little primer on it earlier. So, what we we're going to So, last week we discussed um, movies, box probably, office probably about eight or so sadness. movies in my collection that, yeah, that weren't box office hits. Some even lost money, but uh, have a special place in my heart. At least I find most of them entertaining, if not actually. If really I hear good more movies. about the fountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so talked about that last week. So this week I wanted to um, discuss uh, sort of on the same thought process here. Um, I have a list of six movies here from very famous directors. So movies in their filmographies that I feel are underappreciated or under under underwatched. Okay. Like uh, like if I mention these to to the the average moviegoer, they might be like, I I think I've heard of that, but I, I don't. It doesn't really. Like these are all movies that, in my opinion, looking at my list right now, I think they were all. Actually, I'm pretty sure they were all com- critically well received. Like they're definitely uh, some are even award worthy. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, just like either the 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 timing of, of other movies timing. at the time to- uh, that came out that year, or just where that like a lot, a lot of these mo- these movies are, are definitely like later in these directors' filmographies. Like we're talking about, I think we're talking about directors that are usually spanning many decades them, here. Yeah, except for well, no, even like, like yeah, some of these directors are going all the way back, like the '70s, yeah. summer going back to the '90s. So we're talking, we're not talking about recent directors here, but uh, I don't have any particular order of the list here. I'm not going alphabetically or by uh, my favorite to or least favorite or something. But anyway, so I'm just going to start off by saying, so my first one on the list wheel. is pardon me? we need a roulette wheel. Yeah, uh, first one on the list uh, was directed by Frank Darabont, who did uh, most famously did Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile in yeah, the '90s. Yeah, man. I know he did. I know he did a couple other movies in the two thousands, but he's also well known for uh, uh, producing the uh, 
first season of The Walking Dead, the TV show. Mm, okay. He, he got that off the ground. Uh, he, he produced it for a number of years, but he wasn't actually totally... He was really involved the first season, then he kind of fell off and he produced from there. But Right. So, yeah, he's a really good director. Um, and uh, in this case... So, the one, the one I chose in this case, the one that he did in 2007, uh, and it was called The Mist. Oh, yeah. we I think we watched that in theaters. Mm, I think so. That would have been when we were dating. Yeah. <laughs> so... That uh, so also a bit of a connection here. Obviously, Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile are both Stephen King books, and The Mist is also right. a Stephen King book. So this guy loves adapting Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, Stephen King likes this director too. Like Stephen <laughs> King even said Good that, romance. yeah, that uh, he does a good job of adapting his novels. Now Shawshank and Green Mile, he adapted those, those books pretty faithfully. With The Mist, he did make one very big change involving the ending, okay. which I'm not going to spoil here. But I will say that the ending, if anybody read the book. And then watch the movie. The ending is very different. And Stephen King actually went on record and said that he loved the film ending. And he wished he had actually kind of thought of that for the <laughs> book. Because it's very... Uh, oh, I remember the ending. Oh. It's, it's, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of another word Flashback. to say besides ballsy. But it's just it's very like uh, divisive. It could be a very divisive ending for most yes. people. But I appreciate that he went there. Um, yeah, so the, the Mist, uh, to a very brief description of the movie for anybody who doesn't know what it's about. I haven't read the book. It it's takes place... <laughs> I think it takes place in a small town in the Northeast uh, in, in modern times. And uh, there's some kind of, yeah, so there's some kind of, I think there's like a, a military base has an evacuation, some kind of, of experiment or some, some wormhole got opened or mm. another dimension, some kind of sci-fi thing. And apparently all these monsters came through. And so there's this mist covering this whole town. So yeah, they're, they're holed up in a supermarket. That's when the mist rolls in. So they're all kind of trapped in there. Yes. And uh, so you have all kinds of different personalities. Some people are freaking out. Some people like run into the mist. I think they can, they think they can escape from <laughs> their car. And, and they ain't coming back. They get snatched up by some monsters. Um, some really good actors in it too. You got like Thomas Jane as the lead. You got, uh, um, oh my goodness. What's the name of the crazy religious lady in the store? She's a famous actress too. Oh, I don't know. Like Lori Holden, she's a walking people from Walking Dead will know who I'm talking about. Um, oh, Marcia Gay Harden, I think is the name of the crazy religious lady you. in the story. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, really good film. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, like I said, I, I think people have probably heard of that one. It may, I don't, well, probably the I don't, book I don't more see it on so. TV a lot. It's not like a TV no, movie, it's not. So it sounds like you'd see all the time, like Showcase or, or like HBO or something. Yeah, it's never um, brought up. Yeah. So check out the Mist. Uh, next one on the list will be uh, as a director in this case is David Fincher who has a very very good filmography um, going all the way back to the 90s when he did like Seven and uh, uh, Panic Room Panic Room was in 99 he did oh he did Seven he did the game Panic Room uh, more recently like Social Network Girl with the Dragon Tattoo Gone Girl Oh, that that girl. that Manhunter series on Netflix I like. Oh, Mind Mindhunter. My Mind goodness, Hunter, I didn't realize he yeah. did all those things. Okay. Yeah. So he's a really good director. Yeah. He's a great visual eye and for storytelling. So uh, the one that I think of his filmography though that is underappreciated. Again, this is another one that came out in 07. 07 was good here. Uh, just called Zodiac. And oh yeah. Based on the Zodiac killings of the yes. 1970s, I want to say. I think it was 1970s uh, out in California. Oh man, this make, movie makes me angry. Well, because of the resolution of it, yes. like yeah, oh. yeah. I think everyone knows the the true story of the Zodiac killer is that he was never really identified because the person they had in custody had a heart attack and died, so mm-hmm. they could never really get a confession out of him or anything. But they were pretty sure they had him. But then there's a lot of copycat killers too. Mm-hmm. So one of those sort of like unsolved mysteries that's it's really interesting to look into. But so it's, it's um in typical Fincher fashion, it's, it's a long movie. I think it's almost three hours, mm, but it has to cover like it. has yeah it's very well paced. Has to cover a lot of content though. Great mm-hmm. cast too. You got Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. The movie is is very primarily focused on these three like male protagonists, but mm-hmm. the, it does talk about like deals with their like Gyllenhaal as a wife. I think it's Chloe Savini as the wife. 
Um, but yeah, it's a really creepy movie. Uh, and oh my gosh, like, the thing about this movie too is there's Fincher. He does violence so well. He doesn't do he doesn't. It's not gory. It is a very violent movie. <laughs> yes, but no, yes, no. It, well, it's not gory over the top, but the violence that's there is just very unsettling. The way he right. films it. Well, it was gonna, an unsettling story. Yeah. But I'm not gonna spoil it, but there's just scenes in the movie that will haunt you. Like, but it's a movie I think you really do want to rewatch a couple of times because there's just so many details you can pick up on another rewatch. Mm-hmm. And it's very even watching it the very for the first time through, which is a very interesting story. The pacing mm-hmm. just keeps you invested. And uh, but yeah, so again, I, I, out of all the movies I mentioned though of Fincher's filmography, I feel like this one gets the least talked about. Same. So I, I definitely think it's it's. I would like to rewatch worth watching. that one. Yeah, it also I think it looks pretty i don't have it on blu-ray but i think it would look pretty good on blu-ray even on dvd i remember being a very visually striking film not too shabby Mm -hmm. next one on the list one of my favorite directors oh it must be christopher nolan christopher nolan (laughs) who um compared to some of the other directors on the list doesn't have as much of a filmography like um nolan's been directing for about 20 years now uh going all the way back to memento in 2000 was his first one um and then, uh, so obviously he's well known for doing the Batman trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, Inception, uh, Interstellar, uh, uh, Dunkirk, and the one that was supposed to come out this summer, which is probably getting delayed now, thanks Corona, is that one called Tenet. But the one that this again, one's called Tenet? Tenet. 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 What is a Tenet? I'm not going into it right now. Because <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know really the answer. <laughs> um <laughs> But the one on his list that I feel like it, it it's one of his best films. I feel it doesn't get as much appreciation as it should is The Prestige. I only hear about that movie. Do you, like normal people not talk about that movie? People talk about it, but I just feel like, I don't know, when people talk about Nolan in general and talk about his best films, it's always you always go to the Dark Knight films, you go to Interception, you go to Interstellar, even Dunkirk in some cases, but no one ever just really gives you... Like, Prestige, Prestige is like my second favorite of his films. Yeah, why? Well, many reasons I love Prestige. The casting is amazing. Everybody in the film... Oh, yeah, for sure. Cast They're perfectly. brilliant. I think it's probably the only time, actually, that Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman have been on screen together. They're a good pair together. Hmm. Yeah, I like seeing them together in that movie, the dynamic they have. The main thing for me, this so this is this is one of the few... Like, Nolan usually writes his own screen... Like, he does original screenplays. Yes, or, but in the in this case, the Prestige it was adapted from a, a, a famous novel. Um, I'm not sure how long the night the novel was written back in the 40s or something, but because mm-hmm. I think that, that's actually when the period of the movie takes place. I believe is in the early 19th right, century, or, or early 20th like century. That. Yeah, you got like Nikola Tesla, yeah. and Thomas Edison, and all that stuff in there. So it's like late 1800s, early 1900s. I don't know the exact time period, but um, that's a really it's a, again it's one of those films that I think it's probably around two and a half hours, but it's really well paced. Like the oh, yeah. ending's amazing. It's one of those films you just want to rewatch right away to pick up all the details like a second time through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think like uh, I think it's a movie that so it's it's 14 years old now, and I think even 10, 15 years from now, it's still going to hold up. I don't think For it's sure. a movie that it, it, it ages poorly or anything. Nope. It's, the story still yeah. is great no matter and because what of, because of the time period it's set in, it doesn't really feel dated. Obviously, right. so yeah, I, I definitely if you haven't seen it yet or if you've heard about it, you're on the fence, go watch Prestige. Uh, next, we will go to uh, probably the filmmaker on the list that has the most over most total films in his Spielberg. Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, going all the way back to the seventies. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Spielberg, obviously, most famously known for you know stuff like Jaws, E.T., uh, Close Encounters of the What's that? I can't remember these, the full title. Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind. Is that what it's called? That's a sci-fi movie. Uh, and then obviously, like in the more recent memory, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, 
you know, Minority Report. Uh, I think I've only seen Minority Report. He does a lot of N-E-T. stuff with Tom Hanks recently. Like in the last 10, 15 years, done a lot of Tom Hanks films like Bridge of Spies, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, stuff like mm. that. But the one I want to point out, uh, 2005, um, a film that I feel like no one really ever did. I think at the time it came out, it was everybody loved it. And then a few years later, it was just like forgotten. No one ever talked about it, but it was called Munich. And it's based on the, uh, it's based on true story of the, I think it was the 19, I, was, I should have wrote down the year. I think it was the 1972 Olympics, I want to say, uh, which I believe were in Munich, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, the Jewish, like a bunch of Jewish athletes were killed by terrorists. I can't remember exactly what, I don't want to say what country they're from. It was somewhere in the like the Middle East or uh, some part of Europe, like Lebanon or no, was it Egypt. a religious attack then? Yeah, it was a religious thing. It definitely was. Uh, so yeah, I can't remember exactly how many athletes were killed, but it was definitely like it. It held it. That you know, the whole Olympics was just marred by this tragedy, mm-hmm. even outside of Israel, obviously. So, but so the movie is. Um, so it's based on a true story. Now, how much of the how much of it is true is interesting because obviously the details of this movie are like did, always denied by the Israeli government because they don't want to admit to this. But the premise of the movie is that after this attack, the Israeli government puts together a team of like uh, assassins and ex Mossad agents and other people. Like they put a whole like team together, like a bomb maker and a, and a spy, mm. like a document forger to basically create a team of people That's that can go insane. track down these track, track down. There's like a list of like 12, 10 or 12 uh, people in this terrorist organization that they want is really good. And also track down and kill as revenge for this, this terrorist attack on the Olympics. Right. So the movie's got a really good cast, uh, as, as most of these movies on my list do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Bana in the lead. You got Jeffrey Rush. You got Daniel Craig in one of his first pre-Bond hmm. roles. There's another famous actor in it. I can't remember his name, though. French actor Matthew Amalric, I think. He was actually in Quantum of Solace <laughs> as the bad guy. Uh-oh. But, uh, yeah, but the movie is... For, for Spielberg, it's a... Well, I shouldn't say, Spielberg does do violent movies. He does violence very well. I feel like a Saving Private Ryan or... Even certain aspects of Minority, Minority Report, uh, he can do violence. Or shouldn't this obviously that was, but that was more of a historical type mm. of violence. But in terms of this type of violence, it's he does a really good job with this sort of spy, uh, assassin killing roles. Uh, but for me, the the standout in the movie is the dynamic between the main character Eric Bana, who's I can't remember the character's name in the movie. It's Av Avner. I want to say it's Avner's his first name. His his relationship with his his boss in Israel is played by Jeffrey Rush. His handler, I guess. Uh, mm. They have a really good dynamic throughout the film, whether they're talking about these like, assassinations he has to carry out or, or after the fact, when at the end of the movie, when it's, when um, when he the main character is actually living in, in the United States because he he doesn't he doesn't want to live he doesn't feel safe living in Israel anymore. He's worried about him. retaliation. Um, the movie has a really strong ending, like a really strong final half hour, which I won't spoil. But uh, it, it it's it's a long it's a long Spielberg movie as most of his movies are. But again, I feel like the pacing is really good on this movie doesn't feel as long as it does um for me though like yeah, there's so many moments in the movie that stand out the violent movies violent scenes in particular do stand out for me uh there's one scene where like the main character he's so his family's in the u.s he's in israel still carrying out these missions or not in israel but he's in europe somewhere um and he's his his wife uh who was pregnant when she went to the u.s she had they, she had the baby so he gets to hear his, his baby talk on the phone for the first time and the dude on the other end of the line, the Eric Bana actor, he his reaction, his his emotional breakdown, he hears his kind of line is uh, to me it was one of the most genuine, uh, like Sadness. emotional moments I'd ever seen. It was so well acted, like, I felt it. Um, and it, it's right in the middle of the movie when you you, got, you know you have all these scenes of killings going on, and you have mm. this moment of like this where he's just trying to connect with his family. That I, I felt Spielberg can do those moments really well. 
he hasn't lost that touch. Um, but again, I feel like no one ever really talks about this movie anymore. It's 15 years old now. Um, I'd never heard of it till today. So again, I remember too. I remember watching a couple of videos on YouTube about how well shot it is, like visually, like a lot of camera movements and, and cinematography uh, techniques they're using the film are really impressive. So I think it's definitely worth watching from the technical aspect, if not a story aspect. So check that out. And we're gonna finish off. I'm cheating. I'm cheating here, but I'm gonna finish off this list with two mentions for one director. Because again, this is one of the, probably one of the, one of the most, if not the most, prolific film director in American history, and uh, these are two of his more recent films, like within the last decade. That uh, so it's hard to say they're unappreciated because they're more, they're such they're so recent. Mm. But I still feel like when people talk about this director's films, these ones are always near the bottom of the list. So for me, we're talking about Martin Scorsese here. Obviously, his filmography goes all the way back to the '70s. You can talk about Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, like Raging Bull, stuff in the '90s. He had you know Goodfellas, Casino. Uh, and then in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, he's done a lot of stuff with DiCaprio specifically, like, uh, Gangs of New York, uh, The Aviator, The Departed, I don't think I've seen any Wolf of Wall movies. Street, um, more recent, most recently, obviously, his most recent film was the Netflix, The, the Irishman that yes. he did. Uh, so, but in my, so actually one of the ones that first I'm going to mention is, is one that he did with DiCaprio, but one that I feel like doesn't really ever get talked about and it's Shutter Island. Oh, I did see that one. That mm. might be the only Scorsese movie I've seen. <laughs> that came out in Chicago. See, again, it's, I feel like this is one where like, Scorsese definitely has a, a certain style to his films. And again, if you look at like The Irishman and, and Goodfellas and Casino and even Wolf of Wall Street, you see those like mobster yep. elements in there where it's very, his movies have a very specific pacing to them. Whereas with this one, well, so for Shutter Island is based on a novel. Yes. So again, this is an adaptation. And from what, I can, from what I remember, I think I did read the book a long time ago. It's a very faithful adaptation. I don't think Scorsese changed a lot of stuff in the movie. It's shot pretty much like the book. Uh, but uh, all-star cast, as most of Scorsese movies have, you have DiCaprio, you have Mark Ruffalo, you have Ben Kingsley, uh, like, you know, Ted Levine, Emily Mortimer, you know, all these great actors. So uh, main plot here is uh, you have, I think it takes place sometime in the 50s or 60s, like 1950s, 1960s, and uh, you have these two government agents who go to this, uh, they take a boat out to this island, like a, like a psychiatric institution mm-hmm. for criminally insane on this island because there was a patient that went missing there. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thriller mystery film, but there's so much going on. I'm not going to spoil it because I, I really think it's a movie you need to watch going in watching yes. blind and, and rewatch it right away after. Yes. It's one of those films you want to rewatch as well to pick up more details, but uh, great movie. Um, but again, I don't know. For some reason, I, just, I, I don't think it got a lot of award recognition, even, though, critic, even though critics have. did like it. Yeah, and I think it's actually is one of DiCaprio's better roles. Yeah, uh, I was he, thinking that too. He goes a little over the top in this one as he does most. Like when he has certain, he has when, he, when he has some one. crazy like manic moments in this yeah. one, uh, like you know, I don't think there is a DiCaprio. I don't think there isn't a movie in DiCaprio's filmography where he doesn't have like one kind of like freak out scene, where he's, like, <laughs> loses his mind, like streams to somebody. He always does that in his movies, but he's, he's good at it. Um, yeah, but I think Shutter Island is a uh, a really good film that uh, people have probably heard of it. It's probably a blind spot in a lot of people's viewing, though. Yeah. Um, but the next one, though, I think is a true blind spot. on mo- And this one's the most recent of any of the movies on this list. It came out in 2016. I saw it in theaters. I thought it was amazing. Because I'd heard so many get that. Critically, I think it's very well received. It, d- it did get some Oscar nominations. So I don't I don't think it won anything, if I remember correctly. But uh, the movie is called Silence. And it is... Uh, so, main cast is uh, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, and uh, Liam Neeson. Okay. And uh, they're the main, like, I guess, um, 
the, they're the main white casting. The rest of the film is mostly Japanese actors because the film does take place in take place in Japan. Okay, it takes place in like 17th century Japan. I just looked this up before we did the podcast. Well, yeah, gotta get your facts so, straight. So 17th century Japan, where you have these uh, Jesuit priests played by uh, Adam Driver and, and Andrew Garfield, and they are going to Japan to try and find their mentor who went missing, who's the Liam Neeson character. He went there first as a priest to try and introduce Christianity to Japan. Right, and apparently he went missing, so they go looking for him. And they find out he was sort of like kidnapped by the and held hostage by the samurai right and the other um like uh whatever i can't remember the exact religion that they had in japan back then um but they they didn't like christianity in japan at the time right they 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 didn't want them they didn't want the west to bring that over to them so they, you know so they they kind of turned the liam neeson character uh towards their way of life like turned him away from from jesus from christianity so these other two priests come there and they 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 meet these villagers um, and they try and introduce Christianity to them, like read the Bible to them, try and teach them English, stuff like that. And then eventually the samurai come, just like they did with Liam Neeson's character. They capture these priests, bring them back, sort of like torture them, try and turn them away from that way of thinking. There's actually one of those visually disturbing pieces, um, scenes in the film. You can see this in the trailer too. It's not like it's a big spoiler or anything, but um, for the people that won't renounce the Christianity, like these villagers who are apparently like, they're Christians now. They don't want to renounce and live under the samurai or the Japanese mm. way of life anymore. Um, so they get these Japanese men who are probably in their 70s or 80s, like they're older anyways, but they, they get tied to these crosses, just like Jesus. They get yeah. the Jesus post tied to these crosses, and they get put in the, in the water into the ocean, and they wait, for the, the, they wait for the tide to come in to drown oh, them. Oh, yes. So, and this thing goes on for a long time. Like You're watching oh, them oh, boy. swallowing. Like, not only are they just getting destroyed physically by the tides because they're you know they're like 80 year old men with probably mm. weigh like 120 pounds or something they're just getting bombarded by these waves but then they're also drowning in the, the water in the yeah. mouth and everything so but uh there's a lot of other movies scenes scenes in the film that are hard to watch um mostly involving drowning so i would say if anybody has a fear or has any kind of ptsd about drowning don't watch this movie because there's a lot of that <laughs> uh but just in general it is a disturbing film but it has a very it does have a lot of important messages about christianity about Japanese culture that are very interesting I think yeah you've uh, sold me on this one I really want to see yeah, this one yeah it, it, it is a law it's probably about three hours I want to say but that's like most Scorsese movies I think mm. that, the Irish film was what like almost four hours <laughs> yeah exactly uh, that's so, a two sitting <laughs> but this one is very it's very dry I mean obviously there, it's it's not unlike most of the Scorsese movies I mentioned earlier there's no not much action in this one right. like there's no shootings there's no you know crazy DiCaprio freakouts it's a very subdued <laughs> film but a very important film I think and it is one it is one that I think is hard to it is hard to rewatch like I do want to rewatch it someday but it's not like like when I came I'm out of, for fun when I came it, out of the yeah. theater watching I'm like I wasn't like oh man I want to rewatch yeah. it right away I was like wow I need I to like I need to think about this and digest in. this film yeah <laughs> but uh and Scorsese it was definitely a passion project for him he's very uh very religious man he did a he actually did a movie back in I think it was 1989 called The Last Temptation of Christ. Okay. Where it was about it was about more traditionally about the story of Jesus Christ himself and the crucifixion and everything and that's sort of huh. was her William Defoe. Huh. Um. So yeah, and he's done other he did, he did another religious movie in the in the 90s. Um. I can't remember what it was called, but uh, yeah, he's uh, so this was a very important passion project yeah. for him. This movie, like I said, it wasn't a huge budget. Most of the actors did it for very cheap salaries because they just want to work with Scorsese. Yep. Um, I don't think it made a lot of money at the box office because it wasn't really that kind of a big draw. Like mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, no hard, it's hard to market a movie like yeah. that, right? But I think it's a great film. Uh, I think it it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is, but if it is, you should definitely oh, don't go check it out. Like that. Yeah. So yeah, that, those are my list of six films that I think are definitely go out and watch these if you haven't. If you're ever on the fence for some reason, please go watch them and uh, 
or rewatch them even because a, mm-hmm. a lot of them I think will uh, require a rewatch to really digest yeah. the twists or the the things you missed them. Or just to learn things you learn and yeah. So um, that's uh, I think that's that's all I got today. That's a wrap, we, that's, as they uh, say. Yeah, I guess we could say that. <laughs> yeah, anything else you want to add before we end it here? Or? No, I'm I really want to go watch some of these movies now. Um, so I'd watch Zodiac. So, uh, for sure, the ones that on this list that I own. Actually, I think I might own all of them except for. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I only have half. I don't them. think you'll miss. I own sh- no, I own Shutter Island. I own Zodiac, and I own the Prestige. Yeah. Um, I should get Zodiac on Blu-ray. I don't have Zodiac on Blu-ray. I have the other two on Blu-ray, but not Zodiac. We'll have to Amazon. Yeah. Silence in Munich, though. I feel like they are on Netflix. I'm pretty. You know, I can just check it right now while I got the phone up here. Let's just, <laughs> Munich is definitely on Netflix. How about Silence? No, it's not anymore. Unfortunately. <sighs> I wonder if another service has it then. Maybe Amazon. Maybe YouTube has a bunch of clips put together to make a movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking at the Science Wikipedia here actually right now. It is. Yeah, so 100, 161 minutes. So not terrible. It's not. It's under three hours. Yeah. Yeah, look at the numbers here. Like again, so uh, for Silence, uh, budget of uh, 40 to 50 million. I guess it's uncertain because of marketing. Uh, but box mm. office is only 23 million, mm. which is probably like Scorsese's got. It's got to be his lowest. Here we go. Here, so reading this filmography here, as I just mentioned earlier, Silence is the third of Scorsese's three films about religious figures struggling with challenges of faith following the Last Temptation of Christ from 1988. It was off by a year, and uh, he did one in '97 called. I'm probably gonna mispronounce this. Is it Kundun or Kundun? I have no idea. It's about the Dalai Lama. Oh, no idea. Yeah, is this based on a book? Uh, Silence. I didn't know that. Let me see. Most I realize now most of the uh, films on this list actually that I chose are based on or adaptations of books. <laughs> <coughs> I'm curious who wrote Silence now. All these things I have to look up after. Yeah. A little history lesson for you. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you got something out of this. Uh, if you take if you take away, if you, even if you want to watch one of these films, then I've done my job. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope I sold you on it without giving anything away. I know usually most, uh, most You're movies. You're usually spoiler I know. This time, though, I really don't want to spoil these films. No. I think they're all films. All these films have really good twists I don't want to spoil. You did so. great. Yes. Don't look them up online either, people. Go in blind. Yeah. Trust me. You will, you will enjoy it more. Okay. Uh, stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye.